Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar. Today's guest is Abigail N. Rosewood, whose debut, If I Had Two Lives, follows a young girl from her childhood in a military camp in 1990s Vietnam, where her mother is in hiding as a political dissident, to her adulthood as a lonely and disillusioned immigrant in New York, where she must learn what it means to love and be loved and to reconfigure home in the aftermath of ruins. Abigail joined me today to talk about diving deep into your emotions to develop an authentic relationship with your reader. Fruit of the Bean Coffee is fresh roasted after your order is placed for maximum freshness. And Fruit of the Bean donates 10% of their net profits to support orphans and those affected by human trafficking. Visit fruitofthebean.com and use coupon code WRITER at checkout to receive a 25% discount. Fruit of the Bean. Drink coffee. Do good. One of the things that a lot of writers struggle with is inspiration. It can be hard to find at times. I know plenty of people that know that they have a book in them, but they aren't sure what it is. So if you could talk a little bit about inspiration, because I know that it can be a slippery muse to grab a hold of for a lot of people. I think one of the first place that a writer can go to for inspiration is memories of your own childhood or memories, the first time you felt a first love or memories of intense emotion. So for example, one of my first tastes of acute fear was just waking up, not having my mother there. And then she would be after that, she would be gone for nearly five years um, and I didn't see her again. So it's my first taste of fear. And then nowadays, you know, people call it like fear of abandonment and things like that. And it was this very primal and overwhelming experience, you know, where my whole being at the time was just kind of reduced to this a single desire of like, how do I get to my mother and like dialing the phone and trying to reach her. And so this experience, that experience taught me a lot about love and desire and so I think inspirations can come for me comes from like place of grief and pain everyone knows what it's like to be in pain to grieve and the source of of your pain is what makes it compelling to the reader and you're talking about fear which of course and you're absolutely right use the perfect word it is primal that is your reptilian brain that is kicking in. And so often that emotion of fear is also connected to love in a lot of ways, especially you mentioned first time. So the first time you fall in love, 
not many people have a first time I fell in love story that ends well, right? You usually are remembering it because you got your heart broken. Absolutely. We were talking about fear and love. And I think those two things can be bound up in one another and loss as well. Obviously, you're going to feel loss connected to love in many ways. And yes, we all have those emotions. We all have those points in time in our past that we can point at and share with the author. So can you talk a little bit then about how you tap into those emotions with your fiction? One of the first thing I do is, you know, trying to go back to those feelings. I think just allowing yourself to feel and to be honest with how you Mm -hmm. felt. Like, for example, you know, I think the feeling of like humiliation and shame is really hard to confront. So when you're trying to tap into those feelings, our tendency is kind of to cover it up. Like, for example, honesty actually does complicate things because then you have so many more layers. So emotional honesty is really important in writing, I think. Absolutely. And honest self-reflection isn't something that you get very often. A lot of people, um, and readers especially, I think it's interesting talking about these first emotions of fear and also love and loss, having, taking those moments and also allowing for some healthy self-reflection that might not always be flattering. That's where you grow, right? That's where you get growth. Yes, exactly. While you write, you also can figure out what you actually felt. Yeah, and writing as self-reflection is, is, I think, an incredibly useful tool. And is that something then that you were exploring within yourself when you were working on your book, If I Had Two Lives? Because I know very often it's like I will write a character that isn't necessarily a, a great person, right? Or, or they'll make bad choices or they'll do things that are, quote, unquote, not within the normal realm of a good choice or a moral right. choice. And those characters are the ones that, quite honestly, I am going to relate to the most. Are you taking those deep dives into your internal self when you're writing, when you're reflecting on things? Did it come from that place within yourself? Or did you find as you began writing that it was speaking to you perhaps in ways that you weren't anticipating being so personal? I think it's both, you know, like I didn't anticipate where the story leads me, but I also, I also started to see like why something would have come out a certain way. I think it's always very personal, but also it's, it's, it's a way to kind of ask like, what if, you know, what, what else? And it's a way to invent uh, the answer for myself and to give myself certain emotional conclusions Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because if I had two lives, it's uh, a fiction novel. And so mm-hmm. it's it's always about emotional accuracy. And um, mm-hmm. so, for example, like if I'm trying to capture that feeling of isolation and of loneliness. So I try to find ways to kind of reflect that. So the landscape would be more desolate or usually the character is like alone in a room and the focus is in the details of the room just trying to find a way to 
pin down those more more complex feelings. What other places do you use to look at for inspiration other than your memories? I read a lot of books. Um, so I think other authors always inspire me. You always end up writing what you read, too. So, you know, I think being aware of like, what genre do you love to read? What, who are your favorite authors? And usually you're an accumulation, like your own writing is an accumulation of, of all the things that, that you have read and loved. Reading is very much, it's why I'm a writer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> me too. Yeah, it's because yes, there was too. a reader I first. I think that's the difference between somebody who 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 just says that they want to write and then somebody who actually is a writer is the reading because somebody who is a writer just reads all the time. It's very important. Um so that's where I get my inspiration. I also I love art house films. They're a little bit different than, you know, the, the more blockbuster like Hollywood movies. So I try to seek out really strange films that like nobody ever, ever seen. Um, and those uh, can be more surprising um, plot wise and imagery and feeling. So, yeah, I tend to watch like art house films for inspirations as well. I actually have a, a section on my website that I put up like all my favorite films Autumn Sonata by Ingmar Berman. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a very old, it's 1978 um, film. So he's, he's obviously more well-known. But that film is almost completely dialogue-driven, so it's very good for writers. And I watch it with the subtitle on so that I can read. I watch all films with subtitles on so that I can, I can read like how the actual writing is written. You know, that is a great tip, actually. I know a lot of <laughs> writers that do that. They watch with subtitles oh, yeah? on. Yeah, because you're interacting with it in a different way that then it's not all audio input. You're also you're also reading the words and it actually engages your brain in a different way. Yes. I think that's fascinating. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to learn about writing as well. Coming up, three things you need to know before you begin writing. With the same jolt of inspiration that Big Magic offered to creatives, combined with the actionable steps of international bestseller The Artist's Way, author Andrea Hanna's new creativity guidebook is a groundbreaking revelation. A Map for Wild Hearts, How to Make Art Even When You're Lost, is part essay, part research-backed philosophy, part interactive guidebook, and all heart. Pre-order A Map for Wild Hearts today and create with less friction. Learn more at andreahanna.com. So If I Had Two Lives is your debut novel, and yes. you are here to talk to my audience, which is mostly comprised of aspiring writers, about three things you need to know before writing a novel. So I'm sure that they would love to hear. Knowing which genre your work might belong, just be a good literary citizen, like knowing who you're in conversation with. Many people don't really know what the difference is between genre fiction and literary fiction. Be ready to examine you know, your pain and grief. Um, I don't think that anything should be too painful to write about. Like 
the, the thing that is most painful to you is exactly is the exact thing that is most compelling. Uh, I love what you're saying about being a good literary citizen because, and this kind of came up earlier, you were talking about being a reader before you were a writer. And I can tell you so many times that I have been on tour or teaching or interacting with people that want to be writers. And sometimes I ask, well, what do you read? Who do you like to read? Who is your favorite author? And these people that are presenting themselves as aspiring writers are like, oh, I don't read that much. And there is this kind of feeling that, and I could be inferring from the tone, but often when I meet these people, there is this idea that, they have a story inside of them that is so original and so fantastic that reading is going to pollute their inner workings or that they don't feel like anything that has been written is worthy of them to read because they have something better <laughs> to bring yeah. to the public. And that's just simply not right. true. There are only yeah. so many storylines. Everything has been done. All we're doing is bringing our own experiences and our own twist to it. So being a good literary yes. citizen, just beyond labeling yourself as a writer, you have to be a reader. If you're not a reader and if you're not out there experiencing the art form as a consumer and you just want to be the artist, that is a dead end. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that's probably a little bit arrogant or not a lot arrogant, if not a lot arrogant. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just to assume that, like, you know, that, that nobody else has anything to teach you. It's just not a good place to start. So reading a lot is essential, for sure. You also mentioned being willing to dive deep and ask yourself those hard questions and re-experience uh, your own pain. That is yes. very, very apt and very true. If you're going, if you want to touch someone, like if you want to reach out and ask this stranger, someone you'll never meet, to read your words and make themselves vulnerable to you emotionally, to allow you to touch them and make them feel pain and make them feel grief or loss or happiness, all of these things. But you also have to be opening yourself up and putting your pain, your loss, also your happiness and your redemption, if those are part of your story, into it, you have to have that personal touch in there. You don't necessarily have to be telling yes. them about your yes. life. It's not a biography, but you're putting no. your own pain in there for them to access. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, the book is like, you know, it's a relationship between you and a reader. To me, I feel like it's a lot like, you know, how friendships the bonds and friendship become stronger because you have been willing to become vulnerable to risk something. So taking risk in writing is important. You are uh, taking a risk of looking foolish or of looking weak or or of seeming coming off like a psychopath or any of those things. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're risking <laughs> risking a lot of judgment. So things in order in order to to be a good friend or to make to make friendships. And I think it's the same in writing because it's, it's it your conversation with the reader. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a conversation and it's a relationship. You are asking yes, them to emotionally engage with you 
And so you have to give them something. If you don't, then you're withholding within the relationship. Uh, I can particularly relate to the fear of having someone think that perhaps you might be a psychopath. I, <laughs> my own, in my own <laughs> writing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's a concern, but I'm honest in my books. I put it all out there. And if people are scared to meet me, that's perfectly fine. You know, the writer typically has multiple selves because you dive into the characters. But also, you know, there's like a writing writing self and like there's like the, the human self. And I think my writing self is like particularly like cruel, more willing to like slaughter the characters, more willing to take risks to make them go through things or to allow them decisions I myself wouldn't exactly make. Personally, I've had the question put to me so many times. Is it difficult for you to hurt your characters? Is it hard for you to put them through all these things you put them through? And the answer is no, because suffering <laughs> yes. is interesting. I mean, suffering yes. No one wants to read a book where everything's fine and no one ever has anything bad happen to them. That's not a plot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and people who suffer are also interesting. When somebody's telling you a story, you want to hear about issues. <laughs> That's like the entire human experience is our troubles. <laughs> Absolutely, so. our troubles. That's the best way to put it because... It's why dystopian was so big like 10 years ago and utopias aren't because nothing interesting happens in a utopia. You know, who would want to read about characters that have had everything in their life figured out and is just a, to a total Zen master like that's <laughs> well, then that's, 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 that's a nonfiction. That's a self-help <laughs> book. Yeah. Lastly, the publication process and the sting of rejection after publication. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum. Create beautiful books. Let's talk about the actual publication process. It can be so difficult. A lot of my listeners I know struggle with those steps. Like once you've gotten to the point where you're opening yourself up emotionally, you're taking those steps, you're accessing yourself, and you have written the book, talk about your publication journey and the steps that you took and how you arrived where you are with your debut, If I Had Two Lives. I, you know, just Googled a lot of query letters and I copied and, and made a document of like, you know, just 20 different query letters online um, and just seeing like how to best summarize and put forth uh, my work. I also went to a writing conference at the new mm -hmm. school and they had this thing called agent and author speed dating. <laughs> You can pitch your work with like few agents there. So I did that. And that's actually where I met my agent. I think she was paired up with a different author and, but then her author didn't show up. So I just kind of swooped in <laughs> and started talking. So it was kind of awkward, but then, you know, everything was fine. So later on, I, I went home and sent her my work. 
mean, I worked on the query letters for months. Um, it was it's only one page, but I scrutinize it. You know, I had friends who read it and gave me feedback. I sent out my query letter to as many agents as um, I could find. Um, and I read a little bit on the, on the bio what they're looking for so that I could personalize each letter. So that's the querying process. I mean, that alone can like can take forever to go through. But then the next step is, you know, obviously waiting for a representation or an offer of representation and then signing with the agent. For, for my book, I did some edits with her and then the book went on the first round of submission and it got all rejections back. And then mm-hmm. I took a month off of like not looking at it again, not doing anything with it. And then after that, um, I went back in to do one, like more edits um, based on all the feedback that we got from um, the editors. After that, she went on submission for the second time. And that's where, that's when I got um, an offer from a publisher. So you specifically, you met your agent at a conference. Yeah. That can be really intimidating for a lot of people. Like it sounds like you saw an opportunity and you put yourself out there. And that takes a lot of courage. And I know that that courage can be kind of alien to some aspiring writers. It takes a lot for them to even show up at a conference, let alone sit down in front of an agent, especially if it wasn't their slot. You just saw an opportunity and jumped. <laughs> so like, can you talk about that? Like, talk about like how you yeah. felt emotionally jumping in there and, and what that conference experience was like. I, of course, I was terrified. I'd never done anything like that. And, you know, I'm a pretty shy person. I went to the conference like with a paragraph memorized. And I know that I, I'm going to sound kind of robotic through some of it, but it just, once you start pitching enough times, then it will, it will come more naturally. But I, I came prepared essentially. So I think I was quite prepared, but I was very nervous. And Uh I mean, to this day, I'm still quite nervous when people ask me what my book is about. So I don't think that ever really goes away. You get better at pitching yourself and wearing that salesman cap. You were talking earlier about putting on your writer cap. And, you know, my personality as a writer is one thing. My personality of who I am in the daily world is another. Uh, And the same is true. You have to be able to switch out your writer cap with your marketing cap. And you were talking about the query letter and how difficult that is to write. It is. And one of the reasons why is because it's a piece of marketing. You're not writing a query letter as a literary author. You're writing it as a marketer. And that can be a really awkward place for a lot of writers to come from. It is. It is. Because you have to, all of a sudden, you have to sound like you fully believe in yourself, which is so hard (laughs) to do. You know, it takes practice. And you can take your time writing the query letter and making it. Yeah, mine went through like 10 drafts or something like that, probably more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And how many queries did you send out? Do you know? I probably sent out like over 50. Okay. <laughs> I know at least at least over 50. A lot of agents never even got back to me. Um, and Or some just got back to me like four months after I queried, which at, at the point I already signed with an agent. It just It's just a really long and drawn out process of waiting. <laughs> And it does wear down that confidence. 
and that you, but you have to wear it. Even if you're not feeling confident when you do that pitch, when you sit down in front of an agent, you do have to have that confidence on you. Even if you're faking it, you, you still have to dig deep and see if you've got that in you somewhere. And it's okay to be rejected, obviously. You know, it's sometimes it, it, it can be a good thing if, if the agent or the editor reject you. Because, like, if you end up with the wrong person, it can be a really bad journey. <laughs> Speaking of rejection, you said your entire first round of sending out the actual novel to editors yes. met with rejection. So, yes. How does that, I always think it's interesting to talk about that particular stage of rejection versus the query stage of rejection. Because with query, they're just like, you know what, it's not my thing. I'm not really interested in it. But at the level of being rejected by the, the full manuscript, they're actually rejecting your writing. If you could talk a little bit about that, just that experience of rejection of the actual book. I think it's super helpful for people that have experienced that to see that you, you know, it only takes one yes. It was nauseating. Obviously, it was my first book. I thought it was like the end of the world. I thought I thought that it was never going to get accepted anywhere. You know, I would burst out in tears randomly in public, like walking down the street and all of a sudden it would come and I was just in such a bad place because I thought I put everything I could into the book. And I was just thinking like, if they don't want this, there's nothing else that I could offer that they would want. Feeling of despair. So you have to kind of wait for that to pa- to pass and to calm down before you could go back and, and really try to work on it and address um, the issues that came up, uh, the editor's notes. It was horrendous. <laughs> horrendous painful. is the right word. It's incredibly painful. <laughs> Artists make art because in many ways, because we want to be understood too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just a uh, uh, more confirmation that nobody understands. <laughs> and so that's a really painful feeling. But yeah, it, all it takes is one person to get it. I think the other thing that is important for people to realize is that you get that one and that's fantastic and it's a beautiful feeling, but you also, you still have to keep working. So you have managed to get that first book out there and immediately you have to ask yourself, okay, what next? It doesn't end. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and the rejections like don't end either. I thought that after I put out my first novel, like if I write short stories or an essay, I would have an easier time like placing them in newspapers or journals, anything like that. Like, nope, (laughs) still rejections, like still difficult as ever. Going back to like three things to know before writing a novel, I would add that one of them is to know that the life that you've chosen is a life of rejections. Yes. Um, And you have to be okay with that. Yes, absolutely. Because rejections never stop. You're going to get bad reviews. Uh, You will, no matter what. And bad reviews are a rejection. You know, and then even after having, you know, sold a book, it's like, you can't really just like wash your hand of off responsibility. It's like you have to help with promotion and you have to be able to talk about the book in an intelligent way, an honest way. Um, 
So it just continues. I think it's interesting, like the authors that choose to publish anonymously. In a way, it takes great confidence um, to publish anonymously too, because it's just saying like, oh, you know, my work can just stand on its own without any, without me having to be attached to it or to have to present it or market it a certain way. Um, I certainly don't have that kind of confidence. (laughs) So I feel like anything, I have to do everything I can for the book to succeed. All right. So last thing, why don't you tell us where listeners can find you online on social media and where they can find your book? Facebook, I have an author page and where, you know, update um, just like new, new writing and events and whatnot. And then I also have an Instagram. Yeah, so that's where you can find me. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.